chapter 10. And this evening, I want us to look at a few things out of these verses. It's a long chapter, 48 verses, but I just want to deal with how God guides, how he leads, how he guides us, how he gets us from one place to the other. Because there isn't just one way, but there are a number of ways that God does this. In Acts 10, beginning with verse 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Let's pray. Father, thank you for another opportunity to look into the scripture. And as we take a few moments just to study out these texts, I pray you speak to all of our hearts. I'm grateful, Lord, for how you do lead and the, the various ways you have led all of us that are in here right now. We've all come down different roads and different paths, but nevertheless, as we've been in Christ, you've been walking with us. So we thank you for every time where you have shown yourself faithful to turn us in the right direction when we were going in the wrong direction and brought us into divine relationships with people we could have never known had it not been for your guidance. So for these things, we pray as we get into your word in Jesus name. Amen. We know the book of Acts is a very exciting book, and I don't think anybody can read it without uh, really submerging themselves in all of these supernatural things that God does. And from chapter one all the way through the end of the book, you realize that God's a very busy, busy person. And for the people that have a covenant with him, he's busy in their lives. And it's interesting to me that just in your day to day walk with God, he'll do things that sometimes will startle you. Things that sometimes will leave you scratching your head because you'll wonder how it was that God was able to bring these things together or these people together. And if you look back over your life right now and begin to think about some of these intersections in your past, you realize you met some people on the right day, at the right moment, in the right place. And you may have thought that, you know, it was just merely a situation of chance, but God was organizing people's steps. Maybe it was somebody that came to witness to you. Maybe it was somebody you fell in love with. Maybe it was a job that God brought into your life. Maybe it was a good friend that you ended up having, or even a church or a fellowship, a believer, somebody you came in contact with. In either case, however God guides us, we should be grateful that he does take the time to instruct us. Now, we're going to see in this particular chapter, he can do it sometimes by speaking, but I want you to understand also he can guide you a lot of different ways. Job says that the Lord guides him with his eye. You know, you, you can remember how your mom or your pops may have done that when you were a child. If you may have been cutting up at somebody's house and doing something you shouldn't have been doing, then mom or dad look over there at you. And then with their eyes, they just guide you right on over there to that couch where you need to be sitting. And they don't say anything, but you know exactly what the countenance means. See, you're guided that way. 
At the same time, you can you can think about how a parent can lead along a toddler and not even really say anything. A toddler is sometimes really clingy. And they just kind of want to be wherever mom and pops is and hold on to their legs or be touching a skirt or a pair of pants or something. And, and wherever mom and pops go, they're just kind of easing their way right on over there. And God does that sometimes with us when it comes to his presence. His presence is magnetic. And it's attractive and it's something that we crave and desire. And you'll find that if the presence of God is in a strongly manifested way in a certain place, there'd be a whole lot of people gravitate right to it because they want to be where God is. And I don't blame them. I want to be wherever the king is also. So looking here at this man by the name of Cornelius, we can see that he was an Italian guy. And this means he was Roman and he was in the military. So I want you to see that God doesn't have a problem talking with people that are in the military. And we're grateful for the number of soldiers and military personnel around the world who have come to know the Lord in powerful ways serving God abroad. So him being an Italian, he's obviously stationed on foreign soil here and he's got a 100 people that are up under him. But notice what it says about him in verse two. This is the description. He was devout and he feared God with all his house. So he was a sincere man and he, he wanted a relationship with the king. But the problem was whatever kind of devotion that he had didn't bring salvation. Now, when it says he was devoted to God, I don't know if he was devoted to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or if this is somehow connected with, with the Roman deities. But I do know this, in Acts chapter 11, if you look quickly at verse 12, Peter is giving his testimony to the uh, elders of Jerusalem in the church there, and uh, explaining to them what has happened. And in verse 13, I'll read, he says, And he showed us how he seen an angel in his house, which stood and said, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname or last name is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby you and your house shall be what? Say, so even though this man was devout and even though he feared God, according to the testimony of Peter, from what the Lord told him, he still wasn't saved. So now then you learn you can be very religious. You can be sincerely religious fervently religious and still not born again and have no concept of the fact that you're not even connected with God. Many people think if, if they do religious things, then that means that they're okay with God. But you know, as well as I do all throughout the week here in the heartland, there are thousands of people that go to church, attend services, do catechism, take communion, fellowship and do this or that, but have never been born again. But it's just a good place to go hang out and do things with people. So, and it says he also prayed all the time. Well, do you think it's possible for people to pray and their prayers not reach God? Well, okay, look at, look how many different religions we have on the planet. You can go to the Middle East. There are people that pray five times a day and, and they're not born again. As the Bible teaches, think of all the prayers that are prayed in Hinduism. They're not born again. The ancient Romans and the Greeks had their belief systems. 
They were not born again, even though they burned incense and even though they went to see oracles or prophets and prophetesses that would make predictions about the future. But verse three then tells us that this man who was very active religiously, he had a vision. Now, I already read the verse that said, Peter said, if you send for me and others, we'll come and we'll bring words by which you can be saved. So now you can see that God will use a vision to reach someone that's lost. Yeah. A person that's not even born again can have a vision. What do I mean by vision? I mean a, um, a dream or some kind of experience in which God appears in a powerful way, in a mighty way. And of course, this was three o'clock in the afternoon here, the ninth hour. That's when he, when he had the vision. And it says the angel of God came to him from Genesis to Revelation. You have angels appearing and ministering to people. And in the book of Revelation, you just run into them from chapter one all the way to the end. They just concentrated in just about about every chapter. But an angel is a messenger. A messenger comes with a message and the messenger comes because he's been sent by God. So anytime you see in the Bible where an angel comes on the scene, an angel does not appear because he doesn't have anything to do. He's there because he's on a mission. And at no time in the Bible will you ever find an angel that was sent forth or commanded to do anything by a human. Every time they appear, God is the one that has sent them. There's one occasion with Samson's parents where the mom and dad prayed to God to send the angel again. And God did it. But but you don't have any instances where where you or, or Peter or myself or, or Samuel is telling an angel what to do. But in verse verse number three, then <clears throat> it says the angel came and, and called him by name. So thankfully, we, we were known in the spirit realm there in verse four. When he looked on him, was afraid. And he said, what is it, Lord? And he said, your prayers and alms are come up for a memorial before God. So that is to say God knows you're praying. God is paying attention to what you're doing, but what you're doing still isn't enough. Still isn't enough. This is why the angel has to has to come to him. Now, I think I have heard. I don't know, a hundred stories and testimonies in my life from people who were overseas in another faith or religion and God came to them in a vision. Just just amazing the way these things take place. And sometimes if you listen to the story that they tell, you know, you'll wonder, are you really sure you, you didn't you didn't eat something that caused you to see something? But no, this this stuff is real. I mean, God comes to these people powerfully. Uh, one of the earliest stories I had like this was a pastor that I had in in uh, Istanbul, Turkey. I used to attend a church that was a ichthus church. Ichthus churches were founded in London, England by Roger Forster. And and this um, Turkish pastor, I was asking him, how did you become a Christian? 
And I've never forgotten his story, even though I've probably forgotten a hundred other stories that people have told me about how they became a Christian. He said he lived in a village that was all Muslim. He had never seen a church. He had never met a Christian. He didn't know anything about Jesus other than what the Koran said about Jesus. But he said one evening when he was asleep, he had a dream and he said a man named Jesus came to him and sat down on the edge of his bed and told him who he was and then told him to go to such and such village, however many miles away that was, and said there'll be a Christian bookstore, buy a Bible, and I want you to read the Gospel of John, and it'll tell you how you can become a follower of mine and be born again. That's how that pastor became a Christian. He was a man steeped in Islam, had never been to a church, had never met a Christian, but yet because of a vision of God, his life was radically changed. Well, if if Cornelius would have told somebody about this vision, there probably would have been three or four people that said, I don't believe it. And I'm sure that Turkish pastor, every time he told somebody that story, it was probably somebody saying, well, I'm not so sure. But I know one thing. He was leading a lot of people to Christ over there in Turkey where I was. And he and I, on many occasions, witnessed to and ministered to gypsies there in Istanbul. And there were thousands of gypsies. So verse verse number five, the, the angel says to him, now you've got to send people to Joppa and call for Simon, whose last name is Peter. So the angel knows what city Peter is in. He's conveying that information to Cornelius, which again tells us when it comes to divine knowledge and what the king knows, he can share with us whatever he wants us to know. Yeah. And we can go in different directions and be where we need to be. This is how the divine connection begins. His is a vision. Well, verse six, it says he's lodging with a tanner by the name of Simon. His house is by the seaside. He will tell you what you should do. Because obviously Cornelius didn't know. In the preceding chapters, chapter eight, remember the story of Philip? He's in the midst of a red hot revival preaching in Samaria. The Bible says demon possessed people are being healed. Other people are being healed. Multitudes are being saved. And there was great joy in the city. And in the middle of all of that, God says to him, I want you to leave what's taking place in this in this city and you go south toward Gaza. Now, God is taking him south because there's one man sitting in a chariot is reading the Bible. And that story teaches us that whether you're one person sitting alone in solitary, God knows your address, even in the middle of a desert. And when you think God doesn't know where you live and what you're passing through, then God brings somebody into your life to let you know that he does know about you and he's thinking about you. So. Philip says to the man, you know, what you reading? And the man says, well, I'm trying to read these Hebrew scrolls and understand these verses. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, how can I? I need somebody to guide me. So Philip climbs up into that chariot and he teaches that Ethiopian eunuch about Jesus. 
And in just a few short moments, that man heard enough of the gospel to where he wanted to get out of the chariot and be baptized in water. But Philip needed to know the story, just like Peter here knows the story. But we all should be ready whenever someone wants to know from us what they should do. You should be able to share the gospel. You should be able to give the gospel in a nutshell. You should understand the ABCs of the gospel. You should be able to lead someone to Christ. And if if the opportunity presents itself, don't be afraid. Tell how God changed you. That's the best story you can give sometimes. What, what does Jesus mean to you? How has Jesus transformed and changed your life? And make it personal. Make it personal. You can quote scripture and tell scripture, but but the problem is if you're talking to a person that doesn't know God and doesn't do anything about the Bible, they don't know who a Hezekiah is. They don't know what an Obadiah is. <laughs> they have no idea. But if you if you tell them Christ came into my life and changed me, let me tell you how he fixed and repaired what was going on in my home, in my marriage, and in my heart. When they hear that, then they're interested to know a little bit more. That's where salvation comes in because you're a saved person. Well, the angel spoke to Cornelius, and uh, of course, that angel departed, and Cornelius immediately called for a couple of his servants and a soldier that uh, kind of waited on him, kind of like a personal attendant or an aide, and said, look, you need to go and find somebody for me. And the angel has told me where to go, where to send you, giving me the address, and you tell that man to come. Now, meanwhile, because we're talking about how God guides, <clears throat> the first eight verses are all about a vision. Now we move into another vision, and there's a gentleman by the name of Peter, and it's noontime, and he's up there praying on the rooftop of the house, and the scripture said he's hungry, and he would have eaten, but everybody else is down there making the meal. And while he's up there praying, he sees the, the heavens open, see, like the skies open up, and then a big sheet comes down, and on that sheet are all of these different kinds of animals that according to the book of Leviticus, are unclean. You can't eat them. Not supposed to eat them. And so Peter's looking at this vision and then suddenly he hears a voice as he's observing all of these animals and the voice says, rise up and eat, kill and eat. And you know what Peter's doing? He's, he's rebuking that devil. He said, I, I can't eat anything like that. I can't eat anything that's un." Unclean, He said in verse four, verse 14, not so, Lord, I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. So here's a man that's been kosher all his life. His lips have never tasted or touched pork. Yeah. I broke that law as a baby. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure I did. And I've eaten a lot of things that according to that Old Testament law, I'm not supposed to. But but here's how God is. If God tells you to do something and then you respond and say, no, I don't think I should. Aren't you glad God comes back again and goes right back at it and tells you, I think you really ought to obey me. Yeah. If if, if you have a grudge in your heart against somebody or you're offended in regard to somebody 
And then the Lord touches your heart and says something along the lines of you really need to make it right with that person. But, you know, if you're angry enough and you've been stewing on it for a long time, you'll possibly be thinking, no, I'm not going to be the first one to make the step. I'm always the one that has to go fix it first. And then then God will come back to you again. And God's not interested in who's first or second. He's just interested in your obedience. And so then he'll say to you again in your heart, you, you need to go and repair this. And you can keep wrestling with God as much as you want, but eventually I can promise you he's going to conquer you. You're not big enough. You're not strong enough to overcome the will of the master because he, he's going to keep talking. And the Bible says faith comes by what? Hear it. So if he's talking and you're listening, eventually you're going to get the, get the, uh, the memo. I believe I need to obey God. Takes a while. Remember when Samuel was a little kid and he's laying there in the tabernacle? And he hears a voice calling him, Samuel. And, and, and he, he didn't know what was going on. And, and so he gets up and goes in there. He, he's asking uh, Eli, did you call my name? Eli said, boy, go back to sleep. I haven't mentioned your name at all. He goes, lays down. He'd come back a few more times. And then finally, Eli realizes this is God trying to speak to this little boy. And he tells that little boy, next time, Next time you hear that voice, you say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. That's what he did. See, some of us, it really does take God to speak to us more than one time. Now, I, I realize that when you were being raised by your parents, that you got everything the first time they told you to do it. And they never had to tell you a second or a third time. But for some of these folks in the Bible, and then for a few knotheads like me, we've got to hear it again and then again and again, because repetition is a good teacher if what's being repeated is correct. You know, you've heard people say that that practice makes perfect. That's only if you're practicing the correct way. <laughs> if, you, if you're practicing wrong, it doesn't make make for a perfect game at all. So verse 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 16 says this happened three times in verse 17. Peter doubted in himself what the vision should mean. Now, have you, have you ever gone to sleep and, and woke up? I mean, just your eyes just pop open and you've had a dream and you know there was something in that dream. Maybe the king was trying to say to you, but you couldn't figure out what the dream meant. Yeah, I've had dreams like that. Yeah. Have them just like that. I wake up and I'm saying, what in the world? I, I'll even wake Tiffany up sometime. I'll say, I just had a dream. I don't know what any of that means. And and we'll just, just talk a little bit. So you can see sometimes that you won't know. But in this instant here, he doubted in himself what it should mean. And then, of course, as he's having this, whole little discussion within his heart. There are people down at the gate of the house and they're knocking on us saying, we're looking for a gentleman by the name of Peter. Is he here? They said, yeah, he's up on the rooftop. And so Peter, he hears the Lord speak to him in verse 19, says three people are looking for you, three men. Now he has the vision and he doubts the vision according to verse 17. But yet in verse 19, he hears the voice of the Lord speaking to his heart. The spirit of God speaks to him inwardly. So I want you to see now here also is how God guides. You may never have a vision. But God may whisper to your heart through the Holy Spirit. And the reason God gave the Holy Spirit 
is for leadership and guidance. As Romans says, those that are led by the spirit, they're the sons of God. How then does God speak to us? Well, number one, he's going to talk to you through that book. And that's probably where you better keep your mind and your, your heart grounded in, in, the, in the word of God to know what the scriptures say. But then there are these other ways that God can guide. As we've seen, we had two visions so far with two different people. One man was a preacher. The other man was a soldier. So there's nothing in this that leads us to believe God only talks to preachers. He talks to anybody. Yeah, he'll, he'll talk to anybody that, that, that has a hunger. And he'll come to some people that don't have a hunger at all and come speak to him. Remember, I think it was Pilate's wife that had the dream about Jesus. There's nothing in that story to lead us to believe she was chasing after God. Nevertheless, she sat down next to him on the throne and said, I think you would be better off if you leave him alone. And Pilate didn't pay any attention to what his wife said. He wouldn't let Jesus be crucified anyhow. So when God when God whispers to your heart, then you you want to obey. Now, this this always brings up this question Because people want to know, okay, well, if the spirit of God speaks, what does his voice sound like? I don't know. You know, some you you can't you can't say it's a deep voice or it's a shrill voice or it's a soft voice. When people tell me, well, God, he'll come to you. He'll speak to you in a whisper or still small voice. That doesn't mean anything to me. That doesn't tell me how he how he speaks. Here's what I do know. Everybody in the Bible that God came to to speak to, if they didn't know it immediately, they knew it eventually. And when God is trying to lead you and guide you, I can promise you, you are going to know it's him. You're going to know one way or another. You're going to know that it's him. And inside your heart, you're going to have such an assurance that you'll know that you know that you know that you know that you know it's God. And you'll never back away from it, even though other people may tell you to back away from it. Now, if I had everybody in here close their eyes. And then I said, we're going to have three people come up here and give you instructions. As far as what you are to do and you all closed your eyes and then I was up here and then let's say we brought Joe up here and then we had Randy up here and <clears throat> then all of us took turns took turns speaking. If, if I said, OK, if, if Joe is talking now, raise your hands, even with your eyes closed, everybody who knows her voice is going to raise their hand and everybody who knows mine. Or Randy's is going to raise their hand because you're familiar with it. You're familiar with that voice. And in your walk with God, the same way a baby comes out of that womb and becomes acquainted with mom and dad and learns the voices of those closely connected to him or her. That is exactly how it is in your relationship with God. Your relationship with God is not exactly like your neighbors, but you will know when God is trying to talk to you. This is how this is how some people know when to give a tongue or an interpretation. Or prophecy or when somebody knows how to give a word of exhortation, this is this is how when when I'm looking through the scriptures and I'm saying, God, I need meat and bread to feed my sheep. And as I'm looking through the scriptures, the spirit of God can impress upon my heart what it is he wants me to teach. 
because every congregation is different. And all of you are in different places and different stages of your life. There are some messages that I teach that operate and work well in every church. But for the most part, the Bible studies are different in every church because all of you are in a different place in your relationship with God. So if you go into your house and you see there's a plumbing problem in the in the bathroom. You don't grab your toolbox and go to the kitchen and start trying to repair stuff. You work on what's in the bathroom that's not working right. And it's the same thing with me as a pastor. When, I, when I'm leading sheep, I'm trying to take sheep to different areas of grazing so that they can experience growth in the Lord. Because I know for me, number one, if it's healthy for me, it'll be healthy for you. But just because I'm reading something that particular day doesn't mean I'm going to teach that to you that particular day. Like you, I've got to have a devotional time with God. And read God for my spiritual health. I'm not like some preachers who just read the Bible looking for their next Bible study or sermon. I read the Bible because I love God. And I really do want to know what the king is saying. And I want to be acquainted with his ways. I want to be acquainted with what his words state. And I want to know how I can grow in the king. All of that is helpful in getting me acquainted with the spirit of God when he speaks. Yeah, that's so important. Yeah, Very important. While Peter thought on this vision, the spirit said unto him, behold, three men seek thee. Now, we've already seen in verse 17 that God spoke to him in a vision and he didn't know what it meant. So even though you know God's voice when he's speaking to you by the spirit, that still doesn't mean you're going to know everything about what every dream or every vision means. There's different ways that God God guides. You just have to be submissive and yielded to the king. Now, you, I can tell you now, when I was a kid, my, my mom, since we, we weren't saved, and, and I had uncles that used to run the numbers, and, and they, they, they taught a whole lot of folks in my family how to play them underground numbers and stuff like that. It's a whole system out there. You, you don't have to go to Vegas, but there's a whole system for gambling in the urban areas where you can get plugged into all of those different channels, but they have these little books. And, and in these books, there used to be one called The Red Devil when I was a little kid. And, and that little book had different categories of dreams. And with every dream, there was a number. And so all these different ladies and men, they'd read the book. And they, if they had a dream about death, they said, oh, my goodness, six, two, three. Then they head to the local 7-Eleven to play the lottery or to play the lotto. Hoping six, two, three would come. Then they, they might play it straight. They might box it, you know, so the different numbers come up in whatever ser- series that can be used. And if they if they win the money, then they're all excited. But you got millions of people sitting at home, got little books, little dream books to tell them what the numbers are. And then might even tell them what the what the dreams mean. Secular doesn't have anything to do with God. But but then I became a Christian and then I started running into Christians that were running around with these little books. I'm like, what in the world is this? And this in this little book, and they would tell them, okay, so if you have a dream about corn, then that's going to mean harvest and all of that. And then if you have a dream about a moon or a star, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, the world is in the church, and the church doesn't even know it. See, Joseph never had... To have somebody come and interpret his dreams through a book. Daniel never 
had to confer with a book written by a human in order to figure out what to tell Belshazzar or anybody else. So I want you to understand when the spirit of God is at work in your life and he's talking to you, he knows how to get the meaning across to you. Rather than you going through all this confusion of buying a 300 page book and you're looking at it in a coffin. See, if I see a coffin, this is what I should do or pray. You don't need, oh, you don't have to go through all of that. No, coming back to this then, how God guides. He guides, he can guide, I should say. He can guide through a vision. He can guide by speaking directly to your heart. More often than not, he's going to guide you through this book. Through this book. And this is where you're going to stay solidly grounded and you're going to have some balance and some equilibrium because in 28 chapters of what we have here, all of these miracles, even though they seem condensed, they're spread out over a 30 year period. But that's not to say God's not moving. I mean, God's doing supernatural things all the time. And if, if, if I were to ask you to relate to me some of the things you believe have been divine occurrences in your life, I guarantee your stories would read just like the book of, book of Acts 2. They would. Yeah. And people would look at that and other people might say, well, maybe not. But you would believe they are. Because I know I do. When I look at some of the things that happened in my life, I say there's no way this just happened by chance. God's guiding. Okay, so then, Peter, he meets these three individuals. He hears the spirit say in verse 20, arise and get down and go with them. Don't doubt anything. Now, in verse 17, we already know he was doubting what the vision meant. But in verse 20, the spirit of God says, don't doubt. Believe. I don't know how long of a trip that was, but it was a few miles. And he made his way to that house. And when he got there, Cornelius was there with his family and friends. And Peter walked in. And now he's got a house church meeting with a bunch of sinners. Oh, every, everybody likes to see sinners when they can tell the story of Jesus. Yeah. And you know what happened. He got up and he started explaining uh, to them the word of God and good things happened. But notice verse 25. When Peter came in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter took him up saying, stand up for I myself am a man. We don't worship people. Even in the book of Revelation. You have an instance where John tried to do that and say, get up. We don't you don't worship me. We only worship God. We don't put anybody on a pedestal so high that that our hearts adore them to the point of adoration. Never, never. We honor people. We revere God. We don't have a problem esteeming the work of God in, in a person's life. But like what Cornelius did, don't ever. Do that. We don't bow a knee to human people. You don't need to bend over and kiss anybody's ring from Rome. And you don't need to get down on all fours and kiss the Pope's toe. You listen to me? You don't need to do any of that. That is man-made tradition, and God never wants us to bow our knees to anybody but him. That's it. Just just to, to worship him and and to love him. I think one time... I might have offended a, a, a priest uh, one time when I told him that elephants would roost in trees before I ever kissed the Pope's toe. You know, I don't think he liked that. But 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 nevertheless, he got he got my point before he turned his back on me and walked away. 
So, so, so verse 27, he talked with him, went in and found many that were come together. This is what we like to see people come together, invite other people to hear the gospel. I've had plenty of people say to me, Pastor, if, if I invite some of my friends and family over, would you come to our house and sit and share the gospel with them? I said, absolutely. That's what we'll do. Because that's how we started out here in houses. When Tiff and I first started doing the, the preaching out here, we were in people's living rooms and we were going house to house and people were volunteering their homes. And this, this is how we began. And you can touch a lot of people sitting in a house who won't come to a church building. Yeah, they don't want to have anything to do with the church. They were burned in the church or had a problem in the church and, and just didn't enjoy uh, what went on there. But you sit down in the living room and, and then you stand up and you start telling the story. It's a powerful thing. Yeah. And so as they were telling the story, obviously, Cornelius here gives his brief testimony upon Peter's arrival and says, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And in the ninth hour, I prayed. And then behold, a man in bright clothing stood before me. Look at this. Now, now Peter gets to hear the other side. Yeah. And, and said, Cornelius, your prayer is heard and your alms are had in remembrance of the sight of God. Now, what I want to bring in with this is, you know, whenever you're walking with God, and you're coming in contact with other people, you only really know what's happening on your side. You haven't heard the other person's testimony yet. But it's the other person's testimony that you want to hear also that's going to help validate the fact that this was a God connection. He brought you together. Yeah. My pastor used to tell a story about in uh, Ohio when they planted a church outside of, I want to say, a few miles outside of Cleveland, that his mother very often would hear from the king and then his dad would be the one that go in with her and then they plant the church and he did all the preaching and the pastoring and stuff. But there was one occasion he told me a story where his mother believed the spirit of God said to him, on her, I should say, said to her, take the inner, inner city trolley car, go outside of Cleveland to a little small town and I'll tell you where to get off that trolley car. So, her and her husband did that. And sure enough, we had those cars that went from city to city back then. People didn't have a whole lot of cars. And, and they got off at a certain spot where she felt like God said, this is the town. So they got off and walked from the railroad tracks, heading down to the center part of town. And when they got down there, they're just standing around and looking on the corner. It's my, it's my pastor telling me. And, and he said, while they were standing there, he said, a man came running out of the corner store. And, and Rand said, where have you been? I've been looking for you. And said, his mom and dad said, well, how have you been looking for us? We just came from Cleveland and we're only here now because we believe God told us to come. And the man said, last night in a dream, God told me that two of his servants were coming to this town to help build a church. And I'm going to help them plant that church. See, I mean, if, if God doesn't do that, then it can't get done. I mean, this that's that's just an, an amazing situation to to think of. I told you about that time where uh, Tiff and I had went to Dallas. We stayed with some friends. Some friends enjoyed Tiffany so much they told me they'll pay for me to go down to the minister's convention, but I had to leave that girl with them. And so, see, they wanted to get rid of me. 
So I took the flight down there, went to the convention, met some friends, had a good time. Convention is over. I was exhausted from all the services, got to the airport, climbed on the plane and went and sat down, was basically ready to just pass out. Had me a good spot right there in the aisle, just the way I like it. And that stewardess, she 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 comes and uh, she says to me after a little while, people getting on and on the plane, putting their stuff in the overhead compartment. She said, would you mind changing seats with somebody? I said, oh, yes, I would mind. I like this here. Got a lot of leg room here. Got an aisle seat. This is where I want to be. She said, well, there's a person back there that really needs this seat because they like to be next to someone in their family. I mean, they really know how to put the shame and the guilt on, don't they? As if somebody can't go, you know, an 18-minute flight or a 20-minute flight without being next to someone they love. So I turned and looked back in the direction of the seat where they wanted me to go, and I looked back there, and there's this, this black gentleman there, and, and he obviously, to me, was, was African, and, and he had a big smile on his face looking at me. And I was like, oh, my I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. So I went and changed, and I, I went and sat down, and I had my books and stuff, but I didn't want to read, but I had a hat, and you pull that hat down, and I just kind of sit there up against that window and had my eyes closed. But you know how it is. If, if, you're, if you're sitting somewhere, it's almost like you can tell when somebody's looking at you. And so I, I opened up my eyes and, and turned and looked. Sure enough, he's looking at me and got that big smile on his face. And I realized, okay, we're going to have to have some conversation here. So I introduced myself. He introduced himself. And I said, well, you know, what are you doing? He said he's going so-and-so place. And I said, well, I'm coming from a minister's convention. I'm a pastor in Nebraska. And then he got really interested. And then he told me, well, you're a pastor? I said, yep. He said, well, I'm a pastor too. And so he said, tell me a little bit about where you pastor. So I told him. He said, well, you know, I'm down in Arizona and my bishop from Africa sent me here to start a church in Arizona. But he said, I only can attract Africans and I can't seem to create a diverse church and get whites and Hispanics and other people. He said, how diverse is your church? I said, well, my wife and I are the diversity. <laughs> I mean, in, in, in the manner that he's thinking, you know, I said, my wife and I are the diversity. He said, well, how, how did you get people to come out and listen to you that, that were white? I said, well, to be honest with you, I never, ever thought about that. I've never even talked about anything like that. Certainly never even uh, aimed at people on the basis of the color of their skin. I just teach. And so then he asked me, well, can you give me some tips on how to do, build a church like that? So I gave him a few little items, just things related to praise and worship, things with how he teaches and ministers the word. And so by the time we've gone up, I've gone through that. Now the, the pilot's saying we're getting ready to descend. We come down. And as we're landing, he says to me, I just wanted you to know when you got on the plane, I knew who you were. I said, well, how did you know who I was? Because I've never seen you before. He said several months ago, he said, I was praying about this. And I asked God to, to, to put somebody in my life that could help me with what I'm trying to do in my church. And he said, in a dream one night while I was asleep, I had a vision and I saw you getting on that airplane and sitting down and then coming, sitting next to me and talking to me about God. Now, do you realize I didn't even want to come back there and sit where he was? So I'm telling you, God knows how to put our lives together. You, you, you never know. And, and, and to think of the connections in this room right now. I mean, 
25 years ago, 30 years ago. We weren't out here talking about having a Bible study. See, There weren't anybody out here talking about having midweek Bible studies. But, but, but God has a plan. And thankfully for us, just like with Cornelius and Peter, he brings people into divine contact. And by the time this thing is all over, Cornelius, his family and friends believe the spirit of God is poured out in that house. The power of God is manifested there and lives are changed simply because one man was willing to obey God, despite the fact he didn't understand the meaning of a vision. You don't have to know everything, but you do need to respond when God is telling you in your heart to do something, to talk to somebody. If he lays a burden on your heart that tells you to take a bag of groceries to somebody, take that bag of groceries. If he tells you to go to the store and buy some kids some shoes, don't complain about it's the last little bit of money you got. You just go to that store and you buy those shoes. If the Lord tells you to do this or do that, be obedient because on the other side of your obedience will be a blessing. Not just for you, but for other people. Amen. Praise God. So, Father, we thank you for divine guidance. We thank you for your leadership. And when we look at our lives, we know that our steps have been organized in in wonderful ways. And Lord, these people that are out here today, even the ones that through the years have come through this place. I'm so grateful that here in Thayer County, that this place has become an intersection where people can come and learn about God and come to know you. Help each one of us to understand the voice of the Holy Spirit when he's ministering to us individually. We love you and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, 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 amen.